We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Earlier this month, Illinois' Legislative Ethics Commission named a special but temporary Illinois Legislative Inspector General. That's a position the leaders in the General Assembly couldn't seem to fill for two years. But there's nothing like a crisis to get the wheels moving. After bombshell accusations of sexual harassment were made against a sitting state senator, it became clear that dozens of complaints for wrongdoings against lawmakers had gone uninvestigated because there was no legislative IG. Well, now there is. And we're going to talk with her about her job and its challenges. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. Julie Porter was an assistant U.S. attorney, a federal prosecutor, for a dozen years here in Chicago. She rose to be the head of the Chicago office's criminal division. She later left the public sector and helped found her own law firm, Salvatore Prescott & Porter. It's a firm specializing in employment law, civil rights, and white-collar criminal defense. One of her partners says Julie Porter has an incredibly tough reputation as a prosecutor and in private practice. That would make her an easy choice for the job that she has just accepted. Uh, Julie Porter, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Um, what would make someone who's helped to run her own law firm want to enter a political realm that has a reputation for corruption and rancor? Uh, that's a good question. I, I did not expect this. It was a surprise to me when I was asked to consider uh, allowing my name to be put forward for the post. But as I as I thought about it, it is a very important function for our state. The fact that the position has been empty for so long has created some some mistrust, some cynicism, some skepticism about the seriousness of the Illinois legislature in addressing issues that that have long gone unaddressed. And I believe that by filling the post, even if temporary, I can help to restore some of that public trust. And that's consistent with how I've tried to to work and and uh, the the various things that I've tried to do throughout my career so far. Um, and explain why it's uh, it's a temporary uh, appointment and the other question that would normally follow up. So I might as well ask it at the very beginning is, would you want to be the permanent inspector general? Well, let me answer your first question first. Why is it temporary? My understanding is that the commission is looking for someone to be a permanent legislative inspector general. It's never been a full-time position, is, is my understanding. The folks that have done it in the past have had their legal practices or other things that they've done. Um, but my understanding is they are looking for somebody who they can put in the post for a long term. I just founded my firm about a year ago with my partners. Um, we want to continue to serve our clients. I really enjoy what I'm doing. And so when I spoke to folks about taking this appointment, the suggestion was, and not my suggestion, but the commission's suggestion was that it be a term through June 30th of 2018 with the understanding that if 
everybody wanted me to continue at that point or my work was unfinished, that we could talk about doing so. Um, and that also gives me an opportunity to evaluate how that works with the rest of my practice. So I, I don't rule out continuing on, and I certainly will not leave things unfinished. If there is not someone permanent to take the position at the at the end of June, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna fly away and and leave things <laughs> undone. Um, but at the same time, I, I do think that it's important that the commission go forward and in, in finding somebody who wants to do it permanently. And and you talked about that. Uh, that feeling that people might have or maybe a lack of confidence. Uh, I mean, this is a job that either through neglect or some would suggest planning uh, that it seemed that the legislative leaders were in no hurry to have done. Uh, so what kind of support are you getting from the commission and and the lawmakers that have to uh, also be behind it? So far, so good. I have had a couple of meetings so far with the commission, and although the contents of those are confidential, I do feel very supported in the role, and my understanding in taking the position um, was that whatever I needed to fulfill these important functions, within reason, of course, I would get. And so far, there has been absolutely nothing to suggest otherwise. And so you're alluding to the resources that you will have, the, the amount of money that you'll have. Do you also have the staff? that you will need to do this job? I do. I have been given permission to have two other attorneys from my firm work on this with me. Um, So I have two very fantastic, experienced people who are at my side. To the extent that we need other resources, my understanding is that I can present those requests to the commission and they will consider them. Um, Well, let's talk about your vision for the job. Um, and, And maybe... As part of that, I mean, because we're we're talking about you in the job, and that's at the moment temporary. But what your vision for the whole the job itself, even you know the the permanent job, what should it be? It should be a place where people who have serious concerns about conduct by a member of the general general assembly or a member of the general assembly staff um, can bring those complaints to someone who will listen, who will be fair and impartial who will uh, faithfully apply the law and consider whether the matter that's been raised is something that is appropriate for the legislative inspector general to review, and if so, to do a thorough uh, investigation that follows the evidence wherever it leads and make recommendations based on that evidence. That's something that I certainly intend to bring to the job for as long as I do it. And again, I, I, I don't want to create the impression that I'm running running away at the end of June um, or that this is something that is that is very short-lived. I, I do think that there's a lot to be done. And so the the principles I just explained to you are things that I think are, are going to come to bear on a lot of a lot of different investigations over at least the next six to eight months. Um, do you have any visions or at least a, a feelings about how quickly you can, uh, deal with cases, and I and at the moment I'm talking about new cases. We'll get to the backlog in a in a, in a minute, but because people have a feeling that heels have been dragged at the at the commission up to this point. So, what are you going to have to do to show people? No, we're really doing this. Yes. Well, the. What I think that I owe the folks who have submitted complaints is a prompt review of what what they have provided, 
a prompt decision on whether it's within my jurisdiction to investigate. For things that aren't, I intend to let those people know right away. I want them to know that their complaint has been read, it's been considered, but it's not something that I'm empowered to investigate so that if they feel they need to take their concerns elsewhere, they can. For things that are within my authority to investigate, I want to let the people know that I'm that I'm on the job, but I will have to do some do some triage and some investigations will will be pretty straightforward and not not time consuming, but other other types of investigations can be much more complex and and take more time. So it will depend a lot on what the cases are in terms of how quickly they can be handled. Um, I am very, very hopeful to make progress on all of the backlog of things, you know, as soon as as soon as I possibly can. But but of course, I expect that new matters will come before me, um, things things that that are new complaints or or complaints, even if the conduct isn't new, that are newly being presented to the Office of the Legislative Inspector General. And I don't expect those to just sit in a queue behind the others. I will take everything that comes to me and, and deal with it in, in the manner that the statute allows. Yeah, I, I want to, at this point, just raise the question that generally comes up in, in these kinds of cases. Uh, and, but as a, as a lawyer who, who you know, handles uh, cases, a lot of people still question how someone can come forward years after now now and admittedly some of the cases that you're dealing with that we will not be able to talk about uh, people did complain contemporaneously but there but there are a lot of cases of sexual harassment that don't come up until uh, years after how should people view that well if you're talking about sexual let me make one point first the legislative inspector general is far broader than dealing with allegations of sexual harassment. Any any Absolutely. any misconduct. Um, the 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 statute actually talks about fraud, waste, abuse, misfeasance, malfeasance, nonfeasance. Really, anything that someone someone has done improperly or wrong. Yeah, and in fact, the statute didn't talk about harassment until just recently, um, right? <laughs> My understanding is there there are efforts um, not yet finalized to include that specifically, but I'm I'm talking just generally about what the legislative in, inspector general is empowered to investigate. There's also the Ethics Act, which has very specific prohibitions on certain kinds of conduct by members of the General Assembly and and people who do, do business with them. And there's the Illinois Governmental Ethics Act, which is a, another set of prohibitions. The Illinois Governmental Ethics Act, among other things, has some codes of conduct for legislators, and one of those is to not engage in conduct that is unbecoming of someone who is charged with the public trust. And so um, sexual harassment, although not specifically named there, I view as as very much within my authority to investigate, but the, the laws that I just described to you are certainly broader than that. And I do expect to see claims and and complaints about things much broader than sexual harassment. Yeah, well, and this is Illinois, so you you, you almost certainly will. Um, But let's talk, though, about the backlog. You take over uh, with more than two dozen cases that have uh, gotten a bit colder than they were a couple of years ago. Um, First, how difficult is it 
to resurrect, and not all of those cases are sexual harassment cases either, but uh, but how how do you bring a case like that back and take a look at it when it has languished for a couple of years? I can't comment on any of the specific cases, but I can certainly talk to you generally about how I would do something like that. It's It's not so much different from my prior work as a as a prosecutor in the sense that people come forward with with issues and sometimes they're fresh. It's something that's going on um, right right then and there. But sometimes it is older. And that's that is not new for a legislative inspector general or any anyone who is investigating issues. People come forward at all sorts of times for all sorts of reasons. And what an investigator does at that point is assess what's in front of her. Um, think about what additional information would be important to understand what the complaint is that's being made to the extent there are credibility questions, what other sorts of information is either going to corroborate what the complainant has to say or refute it. Um, and so when when something is very old, an allegation is very old, um, that can be challenging, but it isn't impossible. When I was a prosecutor, I just to take an example, I uh, handled a sex abuse case involving a priest who had molested children for many, many, many decades. And I had witnesses in that case. You know, one of the witnesses had been abused very recently, but I also spoke to people who had gone back 20, 30, even 40 years. Um, and so it it really just depends on the case, and it depends on the nature of the evidence that you're looking at. Um so even though an older an older claim may may present some challenges in terms of what people remember or what what hard evidence they have available like old text messages or emails or that kind of thing it's certainly not impossible to to go back even even a few years. But and I'm speaking generally about uh, cases like uh, sexual abuse or sexual harassment. A lot of such cases are kind of he said, she said, or whatever, uh, where it's two people's memories or statements. And does time work against a plaintiff or or a complainant in a case like that when years have gone by? Again, just speaking very generally, it, it depends. You know, there are some people that I've worked with, both in private practice and the government, who have just amazing memories. And especially when something traumatic has happened to them, you know, it, it, it sears in the brain and they remember very well. Um, same, same thing with people who are, who are accused of an offense. Um, you know, even, even if it's, even if it's from years earlier, I don't presume that their memories are going to be so, um, so lacking that they can't provide important and incredible information about what happened or what didn't happen. You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm political editor Craig Delamore. My guest is former federal prosecutor Julie Porter. She is Illinois' new special legislative inspector general. Uh, and this is probably a good point uh, at which to mention that we are not talking about <laughs> the elephant in the room. So, just so the, the public does understand that it's not that I've forgotten. That uh, there was a, 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 a there were allegations by a victim rights uh, lobbyist against Senator Iris Silverstein. It's that you can't talk about a case that's before you. That's correct, 
that would not be fair to anyone in the process. So we've got that out of the way, just so people don't think I, you know, completely avoided it. Uh, but how does the history of the Legislative Ethics Commission and the cases that that weren't addressed over this long period of time affect women's willingness to report crimes of sexual harassment? I can understand how some people would be reluctant, um, and and that would be true even if there had not been a time period when the office was not filled. It is it is frightening for people to come forward, and I'm not talking just about women. I'm talking about women, men, anyone who has experienced something that they that they that they believe is wrong and that involves someone in authority over them or where they believe that they have something to lose. Um, it, it can be very frightening for people to make a complaint or make an allegation. They worry about their livelihood. They worry about their reputation. And so even in a, an ordinary situation, um, that, can, that can be tough. I think that the fact that the office has sat empty, um, I, I can understand how some people might read that as, a, as an indictment of the process itself and, and have some fear that, that coming forward to me um, would just be more of the same or that they wouldn't be heard. I, I can't ask that people just trust me on site and just because I said so, you know, that, that that's enough. But I do really hope that people will keep an open mind and give it a try. I am I would not have taken this position if I didn't believe that I could make a difference. I wouldn't have taken this position if I believed that it were pointless. Um, I certainly wouldn't do it if I thought that there were predetermined outcomes or that I would not be permitted to make my own assessments and call it like I see it. And so I I am here to listen to to people who have serious complaints. I do not presuppose any outcome at all. I, ha- I myself keep an open mind as an investigator, and I don't presume that anything is going to go one way or go another way. Um, but the only way that... You know, if, if someone believes there's real wrong that's occurring, um, that it's not going to change if nothing is said. And and I hope to be a safe, confidential place where people can make those complaints and trust that they will be investigated in a way that's appropriate and ethical and impartial. Well, how much power do you have? And I'm I uh, saw I, some. Uh, writing from the Illinois Campaign for Political Reform that uh, is talking in general about the need for more stringent sexual harassment policies in Illinois. And uh, one of the statements that uh, that Watchdog Group made was that the powers of the newly appointed uh, interim legislative inspector general are limited and somewhat unclear. What's your view of the powers that you do have? My powers are outlined in the statute, so I can do what the statute tells me I can, and and I can't do what it, what it says I can't do. So to be a little more specific, the the statute empowers me to <clears throat> investigate claims that are within the jurisdiction set forth in the statute with permission from the commission. So if a new complaint comes in tomorrow, um, I am required to assess that complaint determine whether it's within my jurisdiction. And if I think it's appropriate to investigate, I bring that before the commission and they can either authorize me to proceed or not. 
So that's an example of something where I can't decide on my own. I have no reason whatsoever to think that the commission will be an, an impediment to me. But if you're just looking at the structure of the job, you know, that's 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 one thing. There are additional things in the statute. For example, if I wanted to issue a subpoena, um, I would need this the commission's subpoena, permission for that as well. So there's a few other things like that along the way where the inspector general can't just decide whatever she wants to do. She she has to get the commission's permission. But again, I, I have no reason sitting here right now to think that that will be a problem. A year from now, maybe I'll have a different view on that. <laughs> and if you decide in your investigation that there was a reason to, not not just a reason, a conclusion that an abuse or harassment did occur, what then? Uh, if I decide that there's been a violation of, of the law, I will write a report of my findings to the commission. That's a confidential report. Um, the commission, I will also make recommendations to the commission about what I think the, the consequence should be. <clears throat> there's then some back and forth, and that's all laid, laid out in the law. And at the end of the day, it is ultimately, it is absent some, some agreement before that is ultimately up to the commission to make a decision about what the, what the sanction should be. Um, absent circum certain circumstances, it may also be up to the commission to decide whether my report becomes public. And that's another area that I want to ask about, because I know you have uh, talked about the need for transparency in this process. Uh, how much will the public be able to know about the cases that you do handle? I do think transparency is an important value for, for people to know that this process is is going well and is is meaningful. They need to know what it is and they need to have some way to assess it other than people just telling them that that's the case. It's tricky, though, because, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, it th this process can be fraught for the people who are making the complaints and and for the people who are accused. And there's a lot of consequences on on both sides in terms of people's careers and and all sorts of other things. Um, so some people are very willing to be in the public eye and have everything shake out. Um, other people are not there. And that may or may not be relevant, depending depending on what it is. Sometimes someone may not want something to see the light of day, but it's too important for it to be to be kept undercover. And so I think it will have to be a case-by-case -case determination about the, the nature of the matter and the, the people involved and how, how clear things are. And I will assess that and make a recommendation about whether it's something that, that I think should be, should be publicized. The, the commission also has the ability to authorize publication of redacted reports. So that would be a report where... The substance of my investigation and conclusions are, are there, but identities would be concealed, that sort of thing. But I think it's going to have to be on a case-by-case -case basis. I think that's what's going to be most fair to the people in the process um, and still give the public the opportunity to, to know what's going on. Are you satisfied that the process for making complaints to the commission and to your office um, is, is smooth enough or, or confidential enough? to encourage people to come forward? I do. So, 
folks can go on to the Legislative Ethics Commission website, and my contact information is there. There's also a form, a case initiation form that's available there where people can, uh, and, and that form has instructions about how to how to provide a complaint. Um, some people make complaints using their name and identity, which is important for me to be able to follow up with them and ask them more questions, but other people are more comfortable providing a complaint anonymously, and that's also okay. Um, the uh, State Senator uh, Karen McConaughey, she says that uh, she thinks that uh, the state's entire ethics law should be rewritten because she believes the General Assembly isn't capable of policing itself. Uh, is, is your office independent enough to be able to truly police the legislature? I am completely independent, and I do not view myself as beholden to anyone. I don't report to the commission. I, I do make reports to the commission, but they are not in charge of me, so to speak. They can't tell me what to do or what what not to do. They do have the ability to authorize or not to authorize investigations, um, and I think some people might say that's the same thing, but I, I don't really see it that way. I I have the ability to put forward these requests. If my requests, if the requests were denied, um, you know, I expect that's something that 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 we would be talking about. That I would be talking about with the commission, and and I might have a very different view. But um, I, I view myself as independent, and I think that the inspector general must be independent. Um, whether whether the statute could be written in a different way so that the inspector general is fully on her own to make the sorts of decision, decisions that we've talked about, like opening the investigations or issuing subpoenas or the like, that's really something for the legislature to consider. Um, how concerned are you about confidentiality? Because you'll be, you'd be going to the commission, presumably, with names and, and dates and things like that. I mean, they would know. We, we in the public couldn't know that, but the, I w- I'm assuming the commission would have to know. They don't, actually. I, if I make a request to the commission to investigate, I do not provide the names oh. of, of who is at issue. I give a general description of the subject matter sufficient to satisfy the commission that a matter is within my jurisdiction, but I do not provide names um, or details, nor, nor would they ask me for that. that. That would not be appropriate, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't ask it. So, so then it's completely <clears throat> confidential, at least at that stage. Yes, it is. Yes, the commission does not know the specific matters that I'm investigating. Um, is would is that an unusual situation? I mean, as as a prosecutor, I don't know whether uh, you would have had any situations like that. Well, the relationship between the legislative inspector general and the commission, I'm not I'm not sure exa- exactly what the analog would be, but. <laughs> um, you know, maybe one way of thinking about it is that to the extent I'm the investigator and what I'm doing is secret, I'm I'm sort of like the grand jury. I'm not sure it's a perfect analogy, but it's it's something where my investigation is going to be completely confidential. I'm not going to talk about it with 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 people. Witnesses may be free to talk to whoever they want, but but I myself and my staff, um, we won't. And and to the extent it then become comes before the commission. Um, where I have made specific specific allegations, at that point they're informed. And so at that point, maybe they are more like the judge 
um, where at that point they are clued in on on it because it is a matter that is now fairly and appropriately before them under the law. Um, is, is it safe to assume, uh, and we only have a few, uh, like 30 seconds left, if you feel you're not being allowed to do the job that you should be doing, what will you do? Uh, my first my first approach will be to the commission. I I Right now, I've had just a few meetings with them. And again, the meetings are confidential, but they have gone very well, very smoothly. Um, I am not at all shy. And if I think that something is being done to impede my my investigations or to prevent me from doing what I've been charged to do, I will speak up about it. To, for, and certainly first to the commission and try and work through the issues. Thank you very much. That is Legislative Inspector General Julie Porter uh, spending this half hour with us. And I very much appreciate your coming in. Thanks um, so much. Uh, to our listeners, if you would like a copy of this program or just to hear it again, please visit our website. That is cbschicago.com. Just follow the audio links. You can also find our podcasts on play.it. I will be back next week with another edition of At Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See t-mobile.com.